Okay, so this week, we're starting this new six-part series entitled Love, Grow, Serve, and uh, each one of these emphasis uh, has a dual connection. There's a vertical connection and a horizontal connection, right? There's a uh, connection with God and a connection with people. There's a connection with the cross and a connection with the world. And so the first two messages are going to be on love, loving God and loving people, right? And the, the next two messages will be on growing, growing in relationships with God and with others. Then the last two messages will be on serving God and serving the community. And I hope and I believe that the intention of our Heavenly Father is that this becomes the DNA uh, of our body of Christ here. This becomes our motivation. This becomes what drives us, what informs us. Uh, it becomes how we understand our reason for being here at Lancaster First Assembly. So right at the start, I want to give you some scriptural basis on which we can understand this entire series and this entire emphasis and calling, right? I want Because I want you to understand that, you know, I just didn't pull this out of a hat somewhere. I, I didn't just pull it out of the air somewhere, right? Uh, I didn't get this after I ate too much pepperoni pizza, all right, or something like that, okay? It has a scriptural uh, basis. Now, you may notice on the banners behind me that there's a scripture reference at the bottom of each one, and it's Ephesians 4, 16. And so if you could please turn there with me in your Bibles or your devices and uh uh, as you do, uh, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of Ephesians. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, as he's talking to the Ephesians, Ephesians is a cool book because he's not really dealing with any big problems in the church. A lot of Paul's letters he wrote because there were problems. I mean, if you look at 1 Corinthians, I mean, there was never a more carnal church than, than the Corinthian church. And he's dealing with all of these problems and divisions and all of that. And uh, then Galatians, he's dealing with a, with a group of people who stopped... Uh, trusting in the grace of God, and they've started to um, work out their own righteousness, and uh, they've left the grace of God. He's dealing with that problem. Colossians, he's dealing with heresies. But here in Ephesians, he's not really dealing with any, any church problems. And so we have this, uh, Paul's able to then just kind of uh, talk to them about, the, about what the church should be without having to correct things. And as he's been talking with them, his theme has been uh, the unity of the body of Christ. We're united because of the common grace that we all share. Whether we're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter what your background is, we're united by his grace towards us and our common faith in the Lord Jesus and by our common sharing in the same Holy Spirit. And uh, as we come to chapter 4, he's going to talk about the body of Christ and becoming everything that God intends it to be, about reaching our full potential as a body of believers in Christ. You know, not every body of Christ reaches its full potential. You know, it's not a guarantee that just because we're here, just because we exist as the body of Christ, that it's just because the doors are open that we're going to reach our full potential. But Jesus wants his body to be everything that he envisions it to be. And, and I have this vision that I believe that God has given me for Lancaster First Assembly. And I hope that you'll kind of grab onto it this morning and uh, grab onto this vision and fuel it with a passion for seeing our body become everything that God has designed it to be, to help us realize our fullest potential in Christ. All right, so let's kind of unpack this this morning. I'm going to start at verse 11 and lead up to 16. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, now we're getting close here, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You see uh, God's uh, desire that the body of Christ grow to become everything that it can be. And so how are we going to do that? He answers in the next verse, verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, did you catch it? Do you see it here? Let me read it one more time. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The body of Christ grows, builds itself up in love, and does its work. Love, grow, serve. That's what God wants us to be. That's what God wants us to be about, what God wants us to be doing, what he wants us to be becoming. So this is what should drive us and motivate us, not just for our series, but for our everyday, our, our existence as the church, as the body of Christ. And so this is what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. And it's, it's my hope that this is what we will be responding to as the body of Christ. So this morning's message is simply called Loving God. And so if you could turn to the Gospel of Mark with me, chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 28 and going through 31. And as you do... Let me give you just a little background about Mark now, and this chapter in Mark. As we come to our text this morning, we find Jesus, it's in, it's in the middle of Passion Week, and he's already ridden the donkey into Jerusalem, and he's already turned the tables of the money changers over and driven them from the temple, and uh, uh, he's been teaching the people, and the authorities, they're upset, and, and they've been questioning Jesus and trying to trip him up on something that he might say, and they're trying to trap him so that they might have a reason to discredit him and accuse him of wrongdoing, and can I just stop here for a second and say, uh, you know, Jesus is not the kind of person that you should try to outwit. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? Ah, we think we can trap Jesus. I mean, you don't fool Jesus. All right, now, some people think that they can fool Jesus. You know, maybe if I can just fly under the radar, he won't notice me doing all this and that over here, or but Jesus won't notice me, or I can just talk my way. Some people think they're good at talking their way out of stuff and think, you know, when they face Jesus, I'll just talk my way out of it, you know? <laughs> You, you don't fool Jesus. He's not someone you fool with, right? The Bible says that we will all one day stand before God and give an account, and uh, either at the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers, or at the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. And uh, uh, So you don't fool Jesus. Jesus is the kind of uh, being that you are honest with. You want to approach him with a transparent and an honest heart. But they thought they could trick him. So they come and they, they, they ask him, uh, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, they think they have him because they think, well, if he says yes, then uh, that can undermine his popularity. They can say, well, Jesus is validating the occupying Roman government, right? But if he says no, then they have a basis for accusing him to the Romans of, uh, of rebellion and sedition, right? So they think they've got him. And, of course, Jesus just asks them to see a coin and says, well, whose inscription is this on it, right? And famously, well, they say uh, Caesar's. And famously, Jesus says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. But what I want you to see about that answer, what's important is that even though he answered the question and he sent them away embarrassed, 
He's also at the same time implying that there's something that they should be giving to God that they haven't been giving to him. And he's going to get to it in a minute as he talks about the great commandment. And then, so some of the Sadducees, they, they see that. and they, these, these are people who didn't believe. They were leaders, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, and they didn't believe that there would be a resurrection. So they come. They think they've got a question to stump Jesus with. And they come with somewhat of a silly, hypothetical question. And it kind of goes like this. He says, there are seven brothers among us. And uh, the, the first one married a woman and then died without children. And the second one married a woman and died without children. And then they all did, all likewise married this woman and died without children. Now, Jesus, at the resurrection, whose uh, husband will she be? And whose wife will she be? And, uh, and so they think they've got Jesus trapped. And I don't know why. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, right? They think it's supposed to say, see, there couldn't possibly be a resurrection because of this little hypothetical question that we just asked you, you know? And the truth is, they should be embarrassed for asking such a question, right? You know, has anyone ever asked you a question like, uh, um, you know, if God is all-powerful, can he build a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Has anyone ever asked you that? I'm like the only one? Wow. I got to tell you, back in the 80s and 90s, when I used to share Christ with people, I had a bunch of times people would ask me that question. I can't believe none of you have been asked that. You know, if, if God is all-powerful, can he build a rock so big that even he can't lift it? And I'd have people ask me that, and I'd say, okay, that is such a stupid I mean, I didn't tell them that usually. You know, uh, but I'm thinking, okay, okay, God created the universe, the stars, spoke everything into being, and you're asking me this question. And, until one day, finally, someone who fancied themselves an intellectual asked me this question. And so I finally said, kind of exasperated, I, I didn't even try to... Um, uh, to, to, to explain it with him, I just said, oh, yeah, sure. And he said, wait, 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 wait. You're saying God could build a rock so big he couldn't lift it. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. He, yeah, he can do that. And he said, well, then, if God can't lift the rock, he's not all powerful. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, he can't lift the rock. I said, well, he can lift the rock. He can lift that rock. He said, sure. He said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. If, if, if it's, um, but if he can lift it, then he didn't build a rock he couldn't lift. I said, well, sure he did. He can build a rock he can't lift. And he said, well, wait a minute, if he can't lift it, then he's not all powerful. I said, well, he can lift it. And he goes, what, what are you, you're not making sense. I said, listen, God could build a rock so big that he can't lift it. Then he could lift it. Because he's God, he can do anything. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's stupid. And I looked back at him and said, well, ask a stupid question. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, the one who created all of the worlds, the one who created everything that you can see, all the minuteness of how we work and, and uh, how we're created, plus all the vastness of the universe, uh, every star he flung into place and uh, calls each one by name. If you want to stand before him and pose that question to him, be my guest. All right? But, uh, I mean, that's a silly question. And here, this question that the Sadducees asked is on that level. It's on the same level. And, uh, and Jesus not only corrected their understanding about marriage in heaven, but also about the resurrection from the dead by quoting an obvious scripture. He says, God says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not, he doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living. And by this, he's again implying to them that there is something that they are missing that's more important. It's, there's a resurrection. Then again, one day we stand before God's before God's judgment seat. And, and, and that has implications for how we live our lives now. 
If I stand before a judgment seat, then that implies something is to be judged. And so now the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not asking the most important questions. Paying your taxes and being honest with your taxes is important. And marriage is very important. And doing it right is very important. However, there was something even more important that they were missing, something that they were just not getting. And, and Jesus is hinting at it in his answers. And finally, someone starts to get it. One of the teachers of the law was there listening to them, and it says, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And finally, someone is asking the right question. You know, sometimes I think we get stuck on the lesser important questions. You know, for a lot of people, I think, and especially for a lot of Christians, you know, it's not that we're asking all the wrong questions, I hope. I mean, not many of us wake, wake up in the morning thinking, you know what, well, how am I going to sin today? Anyone wake up that way this morning? No raise of hands. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, not many of us wake up thinking, you know, who can I abuse today? You know, who can I just, you know, really make feel like dirt today? How many of you think that when you first get up? Right? We don't usually think things like that. I mean, not many of you woke up this morning, I think, thinking, how could I rob a bank today? Right? Uh, often we're not asking the wrong questions. I think for a lot of people, the temptation is not so much to ask the wrong questions, but to never get around to asking the most important questions. The temptation is to live life in the less important right questions. Things like, you know, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to keep this job? How am I going to be happy? How am I going to keep from feeling pain? Now, none of these questions is wrong to ask. It's just that it's not the most important question to be asked. And it can be easy to go through life never asking the most important questions because we're consumed with the lesser important right questions. And so this guy asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answers, starting in verse 29. He says, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And of course, you know, he went on to say that the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So next week, of course, we're going to focus on that second part, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But this week, we're focusing on the first part. So let's unpack it together. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, is that when Jesus said this, he wasn't making up some new commandment. They had asked him, of all the commandments, um, that is, of all the commandments in the law, which one is the most important? And here, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a passage that's known as the Shema. Could you say that with me? Shema. You learned a new Hebrew word today. Shema. And what it means is hear. And you must understand that in the Hebrew, the word hear or shema meant much more than simply the mechanics of hearing. It meant more than uh, the physics of perceiving sound and what's going on in the ear canal. In the Old Testament, hear or shema meant hear, listen, understand, take it to heart, obey it, apply it, make it part of your life. How many of you have ever had a time, maybe when you were a teenager and you did something wrong and your parents were... Um, uh, reading you the riot act. 
Okay, Steph, I'm glad I'm not the only one this time. All right? I don't have to preach on honesty next week. Okay, good. Awesome. All right, and, you know, they're reading you the riot act because you did something wrong, and, uh, and uh, somewhere in the middle of all this, uh, they, they stop and say, are you hearing me? And you wonder, am I hearing you? The neighbors hear you, right? The whole neighborhood hears you. Am I hearing you? But the thing is, they're not asking if the volume is loud enough, right? They're asking if you're understanding, if you're taking it to heart, if your behavior is going to change, right? And so here, this is not God yelling at you or reading you the riot act, but it is God saying, hear this, understand this, obey this, apply this, take it to heart, apply it to your life and, and live it out. You know, and as a matter of fact, the, the, the scripture in Deuteronomy where Jesus quoted goes even further. And it says to love him when you rise up, when you lie down. Teach this command to your children when you walk along the way. So in other words, all day long, from the moment you get up all the way to the moment that you go to bed, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. This is more important than all the other laws. And as a matter of fact, it sums up the entire law. So if you get anything out of the Bible, get this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And so the question then is, well, how do we do that? What does it mean in a practical sense to love God? How, how do I love God all my waking hours? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. All right, so, so let's look at it. Let's unpack it a little bit, okay? So um, we're going to look at each part of that. First, it says, by loving him with all your heart and soul. All right, now I'm going to take those two together. Now, I know some of you theologians out there, you're going to you know, tell me that, you know, there's a distinction between heart and soul, and yes, we can get in there, but I don't want to spend the entire rest of this sermon um, defining what the distinction between heart and soul is, okay? So for this morning's message, we're going to take those two together. Love him with all your heart and soul. And uh, now, with our 20th century Western minds, um, often when we think of heart and soul, we're thinking in terms of emotions. However, the idea in this passage, it's really not about our feelings, right? He's not really saying that we should feel good about God, right? Now, it's good to feel good about God, right? Feel positive about God, but that doesn't really capture the essence of what this is. Rather, the idea here is that of a sincere and undivided heart. Rather than a hypocritical heart or a divided heart, Jesus is saying that our heart should have an undivided passion, an undivided loyalty and love for God. We should not have divided loyalties. We should not have competing loyalties in our heart. The allegiance of our heart should have God as supreme with no challenges. So when Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, he said, well, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false or in whom there is no deceit. He's saying there was nothing false about him, nothing two-faced about him. The affections of his heart were not divided. You know, because a heart divided um, with divided loyalties will cause us problems. Can you think of some examples in the scriptures? You know, how about Judas Iscariot? Judas Iscariot had a divided heart. He liked being around Jesus. He liked all the benefits of being around Jesus. He liked the crowds. Uh, on some level, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But his heart was divided. He also liked money, he, he, and he was given to greed. It says that he was the treasurer, and as the keeper of the money bag, that he would often help himself to what was put in there. Given to greed, his heart was loyal to money. And this divided heart ended up leading Judas 
to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he lost out on all his opportunities with God because of a divided heart. King Saul, the first king of Israel before King David, had a divided heart. He liked having the blessing of God. He liked having the prophet Samuel around. He wanted to look religious. He wanted to appear spiritual. But his heart was divided. He also very much liked his position as king. He liked the power and the influence. And as you read his story in 1 Samuel, you see that these competing loyalties made his life miserable. And his divided heart ended up leading him to disobedience towards God and eventually rebellion against God. And in the end, the love for his position and influence led him away from the love of God. His divided heart resulted in a tragic end. What other types of uh, loyalties might challenge God's claim to our hearts and affection? Position, power, pride, sometimes wealth, greed, covetousness, the desire for things can divide our heart. Immoral desires, the desires for immoral things can divide our heart. All of these things have the potential to divide our loyalties, to set themselves up as challengers to God for our affections and loyalties. But we should love God with a sincere and undivided heart, with a heart that is not in conflict because of other loyalties that are competing for our affection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And then secondly, we should also love God with all of our mind. So what does it mean to love God with our mind? Well, let me offer you some ideas from the scripture. Look at this one from Romans chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read that again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, uh, well, first, the first question is, what is the pattern of this world? I mean, what, what does that mean, right? If, if we're not going to be conformed to it, then we should understand what the pattern of this world is. Paul described it just a few chapters earlier in the same book, in Romans chapter 8. He said, the mind governed by the flesh or the sinful nature is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So the pattern of this world is a mind that is hostile to God and governed by the sinful nature. It is ruled by the sinful nature. So if you're going to love God with all your mind, he says, don't be like that. Don't be like that pattern. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, he's got something better for you. He says, be transformed. Be changed. You were one thing, now change into something else. The Greek word is metamorpho-u. Your mind was governed by the sinful nature. Now be morphed, be changed, be transformed into something else. Be transformed into someone who is governed by the Spirit of God. How? It says, by the renewing of your mind. He says, our minds should be renewed. Now, how does that happen? By the Word of God. The Word of God cleanses you. Listen to this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. And then the writer of Hebrews was talking about the nature of the new covenant, and he quoted the prophet Jeremiah saying that this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Say, God wants his word to be on your mind. He wants us to have some intentionality about it. 
In Colossians, he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That, that says, you do it. Like, it doesn't happen just by osmosis, you know, like, 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 I hope that happens to me today. But he says, you do it. Set your minds on things above. Love God with all your mind. This is why I keep encouraging you to be in the scriptures, to be in the Bible, because it gives you God's perspective on the things that you face day by day. It, it helps you focus on heaven. It helps you to view things, uh, the things you face each day in the light of eternity. And, and I, I hope that this doesn't come across to you as some type of real burdensome uh, command, you know, that's something that's a difficult task to check off your very busy to-do list. But instead, this should come across to you as a blessing to your heart. Like, yes, I get to read the very words of the living God. I get to know what God is thinking. I get to know what's on God's mind, what's on God's heart. I get to have God's counsel for my life today. I get to know what God thinks about the things that I'm going to encounter today. Not only that, but as I read it, as I learn what he's thinking about these things, he is renewing my mind at the same time. He's transforming me at the same time. So that instead of approaching the things that I'll face today from a sinful, carnal, worldly mindset that's hostile to God, I can now approach them with a renewed mind. I can love God with all my mind. You can love God with all your mind. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And finally, love God with all your strength. Right? This speaks of your energy. This speaks of your resources, of your abilities, your strength. It speaks of putting some intensity into your love for God. It speaks of putting some action to your love for God. And so loving God is more than just sitting around a campfire and holding hands and singing kumbaya, right? And having a warm, fuzzy feeling uh, while you do it, right? You all love warm, fuzzy feelings, right? All right? But it's a little more than that. The idea is loving God by using all of the resources that he's placed in us. Jesus described it this way in the parable of the talents. He called three servants and he entrusted each of them with some resources. To one, he gave five talents of gold. And to the second, he gave two. And to a third, he gave one. Now, understand that a talent was a very large sum. And so a talent of gold was a large sum of money. It represented about 20 years' worth of a day laborer's wages. And the idea is that God invests a lot in you. All of your strengths, all of the things he's put into you, your personality, who he formed you to be, these are your strengths. These are the strengths. This, the things that you love God with your strength with. All of those things, they're precious resources. Now, you may think that maybe other people have more resources than you, more abilities than you, more strength than you, but the issue, issue isn't what you have compared with someone else has. The is, issue isn't what you, um, what you produce compared with someone else. But the issue is what you do with the resources, with the strength that you have. And so the first one put the resources to work and produced five more talents, and, and Jesus called him a good and faithful servant. And the second one did likewise put those resources to work, and he produced two more talents, and Jesus called him a good and faithful servant. But the third one accused the master of being hard and unfair and just buried it and returned it to him, and Jesus called him 
a wicked and lazy servant. Loving God with all your strength, it's not about how your gifts compare with others. It's about how you use your talents, your abilities, your gifts, your resources, your strength. Do you want Jesus to look at you at the judgment seat of Christ and say, well done, you good and faithful servant? Then love him, love him, love him with all your strength. Love him with all of your heart. Love him with all of your soul. Love him with all of your mind. And love him with all of your strength.